Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week. Still in San Antonio for Commodity Classic, broadcasting today from the UPL booth. We'll be talking with folks from UPL a little bit uh, throughout the uh, program today. We're also going to be talking uh, a lot about soybeans, Donnell Rehagen. The CEO of the National Biodiesel Board will be joining us, and we have some things going on with biofuels. We're going to get caught up on Jim Sutter with the U.S. Soybean Export Council will join us. We'll be talking about the market development work and, of course, coronavirus, a big issue with those markets. We'll be talking about that. And Robert White with Renewable Fuels Association will be joining us. We'll talk about a couple of very interesting ethanol-powered vehicles they have on display here at the uh, Commodity Classic and talk more about some of the infrastructure issues getting uh, going on around the country that they are working on to get biofuels more into the marketplace. But we're very happy to have with us to start things off today the uh, chairman of the United Soybean Board, Jim Carroll. Jim, welcome. Well, thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Lots to talk about. And, you know, anytime uh, we're, when we're talking about a checkoff program, um, producers want to know how their money is being used and what's the return on investment. And you have a lot of uh, information, the very latest on that, tracking that. Sure, uh, we have to do that for compliance reasons, and this year their ROI is uh, $12.34 for every dollar invested in their checkoff. So I thought it was great deal. If I could go to the bank, uh, that'd be fantastic. Well, when you look at some of the ways that money's being invested and, and the return that's coming from it, a number of um, new products that are becoming onto the market that have been worked on, being developed, soy-based. Tell us about some of those. Well, sure. You know, it's a evolution. We started years ago in the biodiesel and then mm-hmm. plastics and carpet. and But right now, some things that really uh, I think is going to be great is we're working with uh, motor oils. Got some new soy motor oils out. You can get them off of Amazon now from the uh, biotech company. Uh, the main thing that I'm really interested in is uh, asphalt. If we can get this changed over to where soybean oil is in that instead of the petroleum oil, which I think we can, it's going to make it uh, renewable, uh, eco-friendly, what everybody talks about. And I think right now with <clears throat> administration, uh, infrastructure rebuilding, we'd fit right into the scheme. How close are we to commercialization of that? I'm just uh, hearing what we got. We've got about another three years, I think, testing. And that's part of the government regulations, but I think it's it's closer than you and I expect. I just uh, hope it continues. Mm-hmm. So soy-based motor oil, soy-based asphalt, and soy-based tires. Oh yes, the tires. A uh, uh, Goodyear took us on and uh, got a guy in there, and they're replacing the oil in the tread right now with soy oil instead of petroleum, and uh, getting better traction in heat and cool. And it's sort of the same aspects with the asphalt. It's not going to, uh, sun's not going to affect it at cold weather. But the tires is fabulous. They've already sold two million tires of these all weather. And my hope is, as a farmer, they get them in ag tires pretty soon. 
You know, I've always been amazed at the number of uses that continue to be found for soybeans and soy products, and that's a lot what you do uh, at the United Soybean Board. You look at these research projects uh, that are submitted to you and, and pick the ones that uh, you think are good investments and then help that gets things started towards uh, development and commercialization eventually of these products. Sure, when all this started, everybody just thought it was a meal-based protein and an oil. And over the years, we found that so many different things out there in the oils. This high old lake has really changed the, the view of it. But we're also looking at our meals. We think there's some things inside the meal with amino acids and stuff that may really enhance the uh, animal program. So the research continues, and you're looking at, you always look at the United Soybean Board, which research projects you're going to fund, and that's an ongoing process, right? Yes, sir. We're we're in that process uh, right now started in in, uh, June. We're going to sit down and pick projects and fund them. And, you know, it's like anything, particularly like, Take my example on the farm. We try some new things every year, and some of it works and some of it doesn't, but you can't just uh, stop. If you do, you're probably out of the ball game. Well, Jim, good to see you, and I know it'll be another uh, uh, very good, interesting year for the, these developments, these projects, and new ones that you'll be um, looking to fund to get them into the pipeline. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And I should say you're from Arkansas. In case somebody thought maybe you were from the north or the well, New England or someone. You know. I understand. <laughs> Good to see you. All right. Well, I think we have somebody else with a bit of a southern accent with us, too. Now, Brian Carden, director of U.S. sales for UPL. We're broadcasting from the UPL booth. Brian, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. So you you two kind of, you know, you you we understood each other real well, we right? You don't need a translator. You don't need good. a translator. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about UPL. Um, the acquisition of Arista Life Science finalized last year. So UPL then became one of the top five ag solutions companies. Tell us a little bit about UPL. So UPL, uh, we're a global company. We're, uh, we're based in India. Um, we have uh, over 40 manufacturing locations globally. Um, we don't have a lot of presence in China, and obviously with the, with the current situation happening in China, that's become more of a competitive advantage for us. Love to tell you that we planned that, but uh, our ownership just started there, and uh, we've, we've been able to capitalize on that um, as, as the world economy has changed over time. So tell us about, you have a very broad range of customized solutions. Tell us about it. So um, with the acquisition, it's afforded us an opportunity to, uh, to play in a multitude of different markets. Historically, if you look at UPL, we've been primarily a specialty fungicide and insecticide company really in the horseshoe of the United States. Um, with the acquisition and with some current developments, we've, we've expanded our portfolio, not only in the synthetic chemistry space, but we're now globally second in the biospace. And, you know, as Jim alluded, we're working also um, to offer crop solutions uh, that aren't synthetic-based. Uh, as you well know, uh, globally, the regulatory climate's changing, particularly in Europe and in other places in the world. And so having that uh, additional uh, option has afforded us some additional opportunities. That flexibility Absolutely. should really pay off moving forward, right? Absolutely. Uh, what do you? What do you? You're the uh, national sales manager for uh, for UPL. So, what are you most excited going into this year? Coming off a very challenging 2019, what are you excited about here in 2020? Well, I'm excited because I think we're in a we're in an era in agriculture where growers are looking for options and uh, and they're having to uh, to make a lot of decisions and change historically to what they've maybe normally done. So, a company like us, we've got a concept called Open Ag. Where we, uh, where we try to not have a tailor-made tailor solution, but we try to listen 
and then try to tailor something uh, to fit the, the grower's needs. And again, with the acquisition, it's afforded us an opportunity to, to play in, in different markets that we haven't historically had that opportunity. And so, you know, as an example, we've got a new herbicide that'll fit real, real well into the enlist system. And so obviously with expansion of that technology, uh, we'll be able to uh, kind of expand our presence to historically to where UPL has been. Well, great. Brian, we're going to learn more about UPL throughout the course of the show today, but good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity, Mike. All right. Brian Carden, Director of U.S. Sales for UPL. They're hosting us here today on the trade show floor at Commodity Classic in San Antonio. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Some things happening uh, with biofuels right now. We're going to talk with Donnell Rehagen. That's coming up next from the UPL booth at Commodity Classic in San Antonio. Stay with us. This is AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the new spectrum of hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide. A new formulation makes it brutal on yellow foxtail, foxtail barley, and other tough grasses. Everest 3.0 gets the weeds you see and the ones you know are coming with flush after flush control. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Wave after wave of grassy weed domination. Always read and follow label directions. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we see this tragic news all too often about death occurring in a grain bin accident. Joining us now is University of Illinois Extension Specialist Doug Gooker. If you're with someone and you know they're trapped in a grain bin, what's the first thing you should do to get help? First thing to do is make sure everything is turned off except for the aeration fan. Turn the aeration fan on. Uh, try and get some fresh air moving through th- through that bin. Uh, so if it is out of quality and moldy grain, uh, that poor person stuck in the grain is not just breathing in moldy air, which could then cause an entirely different problem for that individual, and call their local emergency squad to get out there as soon as possible because they're going to have to cut a hole in that bin and, and relieve that pressure. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're in San Antonio for Commodity Classic, broadcasting from the UPL booth. Joined now by Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Just a few weeks ago, we were at your conference. A few things have happened already since then. A lot kind of developing now with biofuels. Uh, one of them being uh, what happens with this uh, court decision and what EPA decides to do as far as how it's going to in the future handle these RFS waivers. Well, that's going to be a big deal, uh, absolutely, and we've been watching that, but uh, fighting for that for a number mm-hmm. of years. We're just simply have been asking the EPA to, to treat the RFS the way it was intended, to allow it to be used to grow biodiesel and, and ethanol in the marketplace, and uh, this uh, most current administration's EPA has kind of been uh, holding that back, and so this court decision is a big deal if it uh, comes through the way we think and, and hope that it will and be affected nationally. Uh, it will have a big impact on reducing those small refinery exemptions that have undermined the RFS. And let's let's kind of paint this out a little bit. If if it's a big if, EPA uses that court decision to then model how the waiver uh, granting will take place moving forward. That that's a game changer, right? Total game changer. Total game changer. I think uh, based off what we've looked at, there may be a, just as small as two refineries in the whole nation that would be eligible to even apply for a small refinery exemption, and that's in the in the context of uh, 30 to 40 uh, SREs being granted each of the last few years. So it's a total total game changer, which addresses really, if not the top concern close to it for both you and the ethanol industry. It it is absolutely. The RFS remains the industry driver for both of us uh, as far as volumes into the marketplace. And so when that uh, is, when there's uncertainty wrapped around that that policy, as there has been the last several years, it, it just holds back our opportunities. Now, another area, and we can't get into too much detail because as we're doing our broadcast, uh, Secretary Purdue will be speaking here shortly at the Commodity Classic, but we think he's going to talk a little bit about infrastructure, and that's certainly going to impact uh, biofuels. Yeah, yeah, we're hearing actually the administration's been working for for a couple of months now on an infrastructure package to help uh, renewable fuels be more prominent in the marketplace. So what uh, the administration can do to invest in ways to move higher blends of biodiesel and higher blends of ethanol out into the marketplace. Now, we know for ethanol, getting pumps 
to retailers that can handle higher ethanol blends. For biodiesel, what would it entail? Well, for biodiesel, more likely uh, we'd look for something upstream, trying to help terminals uh, with blending infrastructure there in storage so that uh, basically any distributors who want to access biodiesel will have a much easier time doing so. Mm -hmm. Donnell, when we were at your conference a few weeks ago, uh, you laid out a very bold, ambitious agenda for the biodiesel industry, not just for this year, but for the future. Uh, a lot of that uh, emboldened by the court ruling, but also what we're seeing around the country, this push for low-carbon fuel, which is uh, going to open a lot of doors, already has in states like California, and looks like it will in others. Uh, Bioheat's another area. I mean, it feels like the stars are kind of aligning for some real growth here. Well, we we agree with that. And when we looked at uh, our vision and what we felt like we could be in 10 years, you know, to settle on an opportunity to double the size, to go from a 3 billion gallon industry to a 6 billion gallon industry, we felt was very possible. And it's because we've looked at it both from the supply side. Will feedstocks be there to supply that? And the answer to that is yes. And we looked at it from the demand side. And as you said, the carbon policies that are already in place, plus those that are being put into place in a number of states uh, across the country are a big, huge driver to that. You know, I, I was thinking about what we were talking about with what will EPA do with the, the waivers. You know, if the president, if the administration really wants to give a boost to rural America, changing that uh, waiver program that they've had at EPA would really be that boost because we know what happens when the biodiesel industry and the ethanol industry, when they're going well, how that ripples through the rural economies. Absolutely, and then when you couple that with this uh, ability to build out infrastructure, to move that those products out to more people in a, in a much more expedient way, uh, it's gonna be a nice one-two punch for renewable fuels. Talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Of course, the other big part of the optimism for your industry was getting the uh, tax incentive back. And we talked at, in January, we were talking about this and, and looking ahead. And we were kind of wondering, how long will that take to really translate to plants, some of them coming back online, some of them maybe expanding? Uh, have you started seeing any of that yet? We have started seeing some of those plants at least making announcements to come online. You know, that's the unfortunate part of a plant shutdown. It's not like uh, just in 24 hours you just start it back Can't just up. flip a so switch. You, yeah, yeah, you've got to get people. You may have lost some of your key staff. Uh, when you shut down and so uh, some of that's going to take a little bit of time and so having that tax credit in place and the, our, our plants knowing that that revenue will be there to back up uh, their transactions uh, has changed the game for them as well and so we'll expect in the second quarter probably this year we'll see more of those plants firing back up um, and then we'll look for uh, plant expansions as well. You know something I've been talking about and writing about lately is maybe with this push on climate change and things like you know the demand for low carbon fuels thing what i'm hoping is that big oil the oil industry will realize they're better off working with biodiesel they're better off working with ethanol rather than see the market go towards batteries or whatever let, let's get together and work together for liquid fuels absolutely we've talked uh, i've uh, the limited opportunities i've had to talk with some of the leadership on the on the oil side we've had those conversations and maybe they were just ideas before their time but i, I agree with you uh, the liquid fuels are going to be needed, and we make a great supplement and accent to uh, to 
diesel fuel, we, we can help clean up that product and maybe make it something that can be used for a longer period of time and, and meet those carbon reduction goals that the country is seeking. So I want to see you and Jeff Cooper with someone from Big Oil all at the podium announcing an alliance. That, that I would love to see that. I would love to see it as well. Well, let's hope it happens. Good to see you, Donnell. Yeah, thanks. thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, joining us here at Commodity Classic. As I mentioned, broadcasting from the UPL booth. Joined now by Tom Mudd, who is U.S. Row Crop Marketing Manager for Corn and Soybean Herbicides. Uh, Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, we know coming off that wet, challenging year of 2019, when we come back off a year like that, uh, there are going to be uh, some real weed pressures, right? Uh, what are you talking to farmers about? You bet. So as, as, as you know, in 2019, we had a, a challenge getting the crop planted to begin with. And then second of all, you know, getting a timely application of herbicides had to be a challenge in a lot of the U.S. So our, our recommendation is, you know, to, to start looking at getting multiple modes of action on the acre and getting started early with residuals and not, you know, not just depending on a post-emerge application in those situations. And another thing that, you know, that we're concerned about is just the resistant weeds that are out there. And, and we know if we're going into 2020 with a lot of weed seeds out there, there's going to be a lot of pressure that they need to be thinking about that program early. Yeah, this is going to be a unique year coming off of a unique year. Uh, what are some of the weed control solutions uh, from UPL that uh, you you talk to farmers about? Yeah, so our, our recommendation, again, is is to put down a good residual herbicide, whether you're in corn, soybeans, cotton, um, and, then, and then plan on, you know, early on having that residual control so that you're taking the pressure off your post-emerge applications later and not just relying on posts. So some of our key products are, uh, Metricor, Tricor, that's our Metribuzin brands that uh, are a good foundation herbicide for, for soybeans. Another product that we, we offer is Moccasin 2 Plus, and that's our s brands for uh, used in corn, soybeans to control uh, grasses and small seeded broadleaves. Something we're also doing, a new innovation, is, is bringing on you know, multiple modes of action in a, in, a, in a new product like our Moccasin MTZ. Uh, that gives a broad, uh, you know, two modes of action, uh, broad control for for uh, those early applications. Let's talk some more about, uh, uh, you know, a, t- a topic that we talk a lot about, and that is the, the resistance issue and how to fight that. Uh, what do you talk with farmers about when they say, hey, we're, we're just not getting the weed control we, we want and, and think we ought to be getting here? Yeah, again, I, you know, it starts out with an early application of residuals. Then hopefully you get most of the weeds controlled, and then you only leave the, the escapes. you got to clean up with a post-application. Our, our key product that we, we sell is Interline, which is a glufosinate. That is a non-selective herbicide that uh, does control glyphosate-resistant weeds in a, in a, you know, for a, a glufosinate glufosinate tolerant crops i think a lot of farmers last year just always felt they were behind they couldn't get out there they couldn't you know get the applications they wanted to get so they were fighting from behind the whole year hopefully they'll be able to get off to a better start this year definitely or just uh, hopefully the weather's more in our favor this year and they can 
you know have a, have a, have a better season ahead of us. And that's one thing we're doing here is learning from farmers the commodity class what their needs are and hopefully bring solutions that they that'll fit their needs. Very good. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom Mudd, U.S. Row Crop Marketing Manager for Corn and Soybean Herbicides for UPL. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Jim Sutter with the U.S. Soybean Export Council. More from the UPL booth at Commodity Classic coming up on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres, that's smart. In 2019, trials across 10 Midwest states, Credence Soybeans with Liberty Link GT27 averaged 1.8 bushels per acre more than the competitive Enlist E3 soybeans and 1.5 bushels per acre more than the competitive Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credence with Liberty Link GT27. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain futures are shredding more value in response to equity markets around the world dropping below correction thresholds. In reaction to continuing coronavirus worries, some grain traders believe that the virus allows Chinese buyers not to step in to fulfill its pledge under the Phase 1 trade agreement until later this year. Even with the coronavirus story front and center in the minds of traders across the board, grain traders have something else to watch for next week. As we start to approach the spring planting season, this shifts to more of a focus on new crop production and demand. On the Board of Trade, March soybeans trading a half a cent higher at 8.86 and three quarters of a cent. May down a penny and three quarters at 8.93 and a quarter of a cent. March corn trading a half a cent higher at 3.65. May unchanged at 3.68. March Minneapolis spring wheat down three at 5.04 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March down seven at 4.36 and a quarter of a cent. March Chicago wheat down eight and three quarters of a cent at 5.20 and a half cent. Active pressure quickly flooded the livestock complex as traders focused on continued liquidation efforts surrounding the coronavirus concerns. Although triple-digit losses continue to hold in cattle markets, hog prices have quickly backed away from the initial morning lows. Continued strong pork production is expected to continue through most of the year, despite the strong trend lower over the past two months. On the Board of Trade, April lean hogs down two cents at 65.52, March feeder cattle down $1.52 at 131.05. 
April live cattle trading $2.62 lower at 107.85. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 830 points, the Nasdaq composite down 223, the S&P 500 down 97. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're at the UPL booth at Commodity Classic, and we're joined now by Lynn Justison, Technical Services Lead for U.S. Row Crops. Lynn, good to talk with you again. Let's uh, talk about what hopefully is going to be a bounce back year for a lot of farmers that so many challenges in 2019 what's a good strategy that you talk about with them to 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 have a, a season-long uh disease control program in place yeah no that's a, that's a great question and i yeah we're, we're all ho- hoping for a little more normalcy this year for sure mm-hmm. mike um i i think it, it again it all begins back and you go back to establishment whether you're talking about seed treatments um, Infro fungicides, maybe starter fertilizers. You know, there's there's a lot of things out there. There's a fair amount of ground that didn't have anything put in it. So we're going to see areas that have had diseases that weren't controlled at all. Um, we're going to see places where um, there was no insect control at all either. So if, if they had a surviving host, and many of them have hosts beyond just what our crops are we're growing, with those extra hosts still out there, we could see elevated levels in that. Um you know, things like, uh, you know, very specific things like you think about white mold and you think about those sort of things in soybeans, that's becoming a very problematic uh, disease for us. That particular disease, it it's, it's kind of went unchecked. And, and there were, honestly, there was people that we, just because of the year and the lateness and the toughness of the year, we let things go last year that we probably shouldn't have. So I think we've, we've, we've built and built that disease triangle up to where we could see much, much more additional pressure. And then you compound that with things like, in most states, we're near all-time highs as soil moistures. Mm-hmm. Um, we have extra residue, whether it was from weeds from things we didn't get farmed that we burned down, or, or the places we did have crops, they were pretty decent. So we have all this extra residue plus extra water. Many places haven't seen a freeze cycle, so we're going to have tighter, more compact soils. I mean, there's a lot of things kind of set up to where diseases and insects certainly could be very impactful this year. Yeah, we talk about getting ahead, but in many cases, we're still trying to catch up from last year. Yeah, it's just it's like, it's like 2019 won't go away. 
right. it just keeps we're just compounding and compounding and we're, we're going to be fighting things in some of our some of the that year for for years to come for sure well talk about some of the products and the strategies you're talking with farmers about yeah the things we're talking about with starters again is back to that establishment anything we can do to ensure that that plant whether corn or soybean or wheat anything we can do to ensure that it gets up like a um, like our rancona brand seed treatments are, are great examples of that that might be a great way to make sure you you launch into that if you have inferral capabilities i highly recommend that whether you're looking at something like our bifenture which is our bifenthrin inferro or you could look at a combination even better that has both a fungicide and an insecticide to give you as much protection as you can and then as you look into the season things like resistant frog eye um, we, we've seen more blurbs across that in the soybean world this year than we've seen in quite a while um, you know we have some great products like froghorn that will go in and, and help manage that and will actually just knock it completely out so I think as you look at that or you look at your other managements or maybe it's a white mold situation that white mold we've got to look at how do we get ahead you have to plan now if you don't plan now you don't stay ahead you'll never beat it to the finish line tell us about unlocked five yeah so unlock five i think lends right into this unlock five is looking at that plant and we're breaking that into five different segments um and as you break into those five segments establishment um, architecture photosynthesis reproduction sizing and yield as you look at those five segments it's what can we do within each one of those to make sure that we manage what's going on in that plant now but also being very mindful of what's coming um, and then we could maybe do some things during establishment that could help us all the way to photosynthesis and really help balance that life out and help that plant optimize. And I'm not going to use the words maximize. Maximize don't make money. Optimize makes money. So we'll hope for a better year this year, but more than hope, plan, right? And- Again, plan for a better year. Let's not plan for failure. Let's put it in the projects. Let's put it in. Let's build out like it's going to be a good year, and we'll adapt as we go, and Unlock 5 really allows you to do that from UPL. Great. Good to see you again, Lynn. Thank you. you. Thank you. Lynn Justison, Technical Services Lead, U.S. Row Crops for UPL. Well, joining me now is uh, Jim Sutter. He is the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, good to talk with you again. Great to see you, Mike. I know... uh, there are a few things going on we need to kind of get addressed here as far as uh, market development, and that is the ongoing situation with the coronavirus. How is that impacting, disrupting um, market channels? Well, it certainly is something that everybody is paying attention to, and, you know, you just look at the markets that we're mm-hmm. facing these days. Um, you know, it certainly is having an impact in China. They never really came back from their big Chinese New Year celebration, and we clearly lost some demand in that market because people didn't go out and celebrate. They, they've been at home, you know, and they don't go to restaurants, so there's, there's some loss in demand. We don't know quite how much. have been talking with our team on the ground in China trying to get a good handle on that, and we, we know that there's been some interruption. But at the same time, soybeans are still going to China. Vessels are being unloaded. Soybean crushing plants are operating and generally feed is being transported out to the places where they're you know feeding the livestock they're working very hard to try and get their pork sector back uh, up to speed you know they had this terrible ASF problem uh, last year and they're working very hard because you know one thing that the government of China doesn't like to see is food inflation and they've got very high pork prices today so they're importing a lot of pork and I understand they're having some logistical troubles with that but they're trying very hard to get their pork production back up there's just still a degree of uncertainty until yeah, this is under control right it's hard to know the big question before coronavirus and certainly now during it how much would China buy? How much are they going to live up to those uh, commitments in the phase one trade deal? What do you think from a soybean standpoint? 
Well, obviously, you know, the phase one deal is we're very happy to see that be put together. Uh, I know there was some disappointment that when the phase one deal happened that we didn't see immediate purchases right after. But I think we have to take a step back and say, well, wait a second. They, they didn't actually remove their tariffs. They just committed to make purchases. And we knew that they would have to do something to make that possible. And so we were very happy last week to see the announcement that importers in China can now apply for a tariff-free waiver to be able to import Ag, U.S. ag goods, soybeans is what we were watching. Uh, so that was really good news. So on March 2nd, all the importers that want to in China can apply for those waivers. We expect them to be granted fairly quickly. They'll be for the balance of this calendar year. Uh, and, and then the imports will be able to start flowing. Now, that doesn't mean we expect them to start right away. I mean, this is typically the Brazilian mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. So this is when Brazil's just their 40% harvested of their crop. They're pushing their crop out. So Bra this is Brazil's time to be shipping to China. So I, I'm optimistic that the Chinese will live up to their commitments. I happen to just kind of by dumb luck, I was in China the day after the phase one agreement was signed. And we had a big conference there with a lot of importers. And they were all very excited to see the, the kind of the shackles being taken off or the handcuffs being taken off. So I think they're going to want to buy U.S. again. But we have to you know, one of the conditions was in the, in the phase one would have, was based on market conditions. Right. So we will see that happen, but later in the year. The president just recently went to India. There was a lot of talk yep. about a trade deal. It didn't happen then. There, many feel it's still going to happen at some point. What's the potential there for soybeans? We think that on the long term, India has big potential. Um, we we are actually have a very interesting campaign going on there today in India, together with the Indian Poultry Association and some other local groups, trying to point out just the, the serious problem that t is currently happening in India with protein deficiency. 75% of their population isn't getting enough protein in their diet. It's having really negative implications for their children. So we're trying to make sure we point that out because, you know, from a humanitarian perspective, they, they need to change that situation. And from a sort of selfish perspective, from a, a U.S. soy perspective, we think that when they do change that, they'll need to import a lot more soy because they're essentially using all the soy they produce themselves today. They used to be an exporter, but now they're using it all locally. What about Europe? Europe is uh, was you know continues to be the second largest market in the world after China for soy imports. Uh, we had a very good market share in Europe uh, last year when we were shipping less to China. We really turned our attention to Europe. We made good inroads last year in Europe when we got them to approve U.S. soy as an as as a product that can go into their a renewable energy directive product. So in other words, when they make biodiesel, U.S. soy is now approved as a product they can make biodiesel with that qualifies for their incentive program, which was an important step. Can we get past our differences on biotech? You know, people talk about that and you know, it's, it's one of these things that gets a lot of press because the Europeans are very vocal about they prefer non-GM, but actually they're the second largest importer of GM soy in the world. China is the biggest, and until China became so big, Europe was the largest. So while they talk a lot about non-GM, they import a lot of GM soy to use in their feed industry. So I think people understand that, the, that it is safe. It just gets a lot of talk there. 
What are some other markets you're working in that have a lot of potential? We are very excited about the progress we see in, in several of the emerging markets we're working in, places with big populations, low protein consumption, growing economies. So a success story is Egypt. Egypt, uh, a few years ago, wasn't importing anything. Last year, they were our number three whole soybean market for U.S. soy. Uh, a couple of others in the same part of the world, Pakistan and Bangladesh. Both of those markets are really growing, and it's due to protein consumption in the countries as people get a little more money in their pocket. They want to consume more, more meat. So poultry is the, the kind of the meat of choice. So they need our goods, U.S. soy, uh, to be able to feed their poultry, and they need the oil for their human consumption. So those are markets we're all excited about. A brand new one that we're going to be starting to tackle is Nigeria. We've got our first ever uh, buyers conference in that part of the world coming up in, uh, in West Africa, coming up in early April. So we'll be there with people from numerous countries trying to introduce U.S. soy to them. Well, we hear the administration talking more about Kenya and, and Africa. Yep. So it, it sounds like Africa moving forward will be a focus for market development then. It certainly is a focus of ours. Uh, it's going to be long term. I, I tell people we need to be patient. You know, and I remind them that when we first invested in China about 40 years ago, it took 13 years before the first import actually took place. Wow. So, yeah, market development work takes time. Takes sure. time. Jim, good to see you again. Great Thank to you see you, much. Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. When we come back, we'll talk ethanol here at uh, Commodity Classic as we broadcast from the UPL booth on the trade show floor in San Antonio. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgrill variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. 
I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA at this radio station. Time is money, right? And money... Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we see this tragic news all too often about death occurring in a grain bin accident. Joining us now is University of Illinois Extension Specialist Doug Gooker. I was reading an article that you wrote recently showing just how quickly things can happen in a grain bin. Adults can be trapped in less than five seconds and submerged in 20 seconds or less. What are some things farmers can do? The first thing they need to do is never go into a grain bin alone. And the other issue is is that if they have a crusting problem in that bin, it could give way and suddenly we're down waist deep or completely submerged and our life is lost. We need to go in with lifelines. We need to make sure we have ladders in working order on the inside of the bin and never go in a bin without someone being nearby that can quickly get help if things turn sideways. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the new spectrum of hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 herbicide. A new formulation makes it brutal on yellow foxtail, foxtail barley, and other tough grasses. Everest 3.0 gets the weeds you see and the ones you know are coming with flush after flush control. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Wave after wave of grassy weed domination. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And here in San Antonio, 
at Commodity Classics, Secretary Purdue speaking today. We have uh, some news that we've been waiting for. USDA announcing their Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. USDA planning to make available approximately $86 million for implementation activities. This would relate to higher blends of ethanol and approximately $14 million for implementation related to higher blends of biodiesel. So let's talk about that with Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Good news, right, Robert? Yeah, we'll take any good news we can get. You know, this is one of those programs that there was an earlier iteration, obviously called BIP, mm-hmm. uh, the Biofuels Infrastructure Partnership Program, and invested nearly $210 combined million dollars in the retail infrastructure. You saw that work starting to really take place and unfold, and then some other things happened to drag rent prices down to slow some of that volume momentum. But uh, signs point to this being a multi-year program. Uh, obviously, uh, election coming up, so anything can happen from there, but it looks like this will be on the streets in spring and will hopefully be open to everyone nationwide. How will you? How will the industry use this? I mean, we, first thing we think about, more pumps, more blender pumps, more, you know, more availability for higher ethanol blends. Will there be other ways this money could be used? Yeah, I think so. I think this could be, you know, we're used to pumps or tanks, usually not both. Uh, if the flexibility of this program really comes to fruition, at the end of the day, did they offer E15 and E85 before, and will they offer it after? I don't care what they spend the money on. If it's price signs, uh, uh, concrete, or new canopy signs, it doesn't. It shouldn't matter to us. It's the end result, uh, more higher blends on the street. Could more money be used? Certainly. But will this help? Definitely. Yeah, this will definitely help. I mean, we have uh, retailers that are, are facing all sorts of challenges. Uh, when gas prices are low, sometimes the volume picks up and they get more in-store sales. Uh, but as higher fuel economy cars, less people stopping, uh, this is going to be death by attrition in the coming years. You also have the credit card compliance coming to the fuel dispenser in October 2020. If they don't have that current electronics updated, then they are liable for any fraudulent charges. And at the pump, the skimmers are going crazy. So uh, that's important to them. So there's a lot of people looking at new, new pumps, new infrastructure. Here's a program that says, well, if you offer E15 and E85, you might get that for free. Hmm. So I got a feeling you'll be hearing a lot from retailers that you work with. Then. Yeah, there's already a little buzz, and this <laughs> has only been on the street for half an hour. So um, I'm pretty excited about it because it, it, it brings starts bringing folks to you. So we're we're going to work with, hopefully, with the corn growers and, and get, get a program out there to kind of make this as painless as possible. Because there are still some areas of the country you haven't really been able to get into. Maybe this will help. Well, that's true. And, and the the blessing and the curse is when 90, 97% of all cars on the road can use E15, obviously that can go anywhere. And, you know, roughly 8 to 10% of the population of vehicles are flex fuel vehicles. So there's a lot of opportunity there. You look at just the flex fuel vehicle population, if half of those cars use E85 half the time, it's another 6 or 7 billion gallons of ethanol. So... The up, upswing, the up, opportunity is huge. Now, if we get a favorable ruling or announcement from EPA, how they view that court ruling and could change their uh, SRE uh, policy, if, if that turns around, they go by what the court says, that's a game changer too. It is, and it, it, even if it's just moving forward. I mean, we're talking 1.3, 1.4 billion gallons have been waived annually. Uh, there's a lot of uh, waiver requests pending at EPA. Uh, obviously, we expect uh, 
them to stick to their word that they'll use DOE's recommendations and go from there. But this court ruling could really change all that. And uh, the rent market is suggesting that that might be the case. Uh, we've seen them climb above 40 cents, I think hit 44 yesterday. Now, a lot of people are, uh, there were some senators suggesting, well, now they've tripled in price. Well, they're still half of where they were before he started uh, granting small refinery exemptions. So a lot of room to work. But if the rent market is setting the reality of the marketplace, you have infrastructure money coming from USDA, uh, we could have a, uh, could have a good fun year talking with Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association here at Commodity Classic. He's been manning a booth here with a couple of vehicles that are getting a lot of attention. One we saw at the National Ethanol Conference uh, recently in Houston when you had the big Jeep there, which is back here, but you have another vehicle. Tell us about both of them. Yeah, so the Jeep is a project we did to get ethanol on television again through an uh, Amazon Prime series called Hawk Machine. So we, we had to almost build the Jeep around the engine. It's a 7-liter supercharged Hemi. Uh, putting out just shy of 1,200 horsepower, 42-inch tires on a, a 2018 Jeep Wrangler frame. So it's it's an eye-opener. It was fun pulling it in here while people were building their booths and, and even driving through San Antonio and Houston. Uh, that will hit the, the off-road tour event cycle here shortly. It's going to Moab, to Daytona Beach, Pennsylvania, ten- Tennessee, and so on. And the builder's going to be taking it there. It's not going to be us. So they're going to hear straight from the horse's mouth on on what the capabilities and what ethanol has done to to increase the horsepower, lower the temperature of the engine, all those good things. The other thing we have is a Can-Am X3 uh, race car. We have a, a racer that's doing some events in Texas all the way up to Wisconsin and, and east and west as well on the National uh, Midwest Short Course program. And this little buggy is uh, about 1,500 pounds and got 50 extra horsepower when we converted it to E85. Got ethanol in the door, and it's fun running some of those Lucas Oil circuits and stuff. And people say, why? Well, you're reaching another audience, another market, more people about ethanol than you would otherwise, right? That's exactly right, and and we're proving it, right? It's yeah. not just take our take our word for it. And the beauty of that is it's not about the volume of fuel these, these two markets use right because it's three percent of the total fuel supply i guarantee you if they put it in their race car if they put it in their you know high horsepower performance vehicle they're going to be fine putting in their car and suv at home so it's it's truly about a hundred percent but working on those uh, pieces of equipment that may be their most prized possession yeah it's, it's a strong endorsement of the fuel it is and you you uh at, at national ethanol conference we had the builder of the jeep we had the race car driver and just listening to them tell and they've already proven it. Good to see you. Thanks, Mike. Lots going on. Thank you. That's Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. As we wrap up our coverage of Commodity Classic here in San Antonio, our thanks to the folks at UPL for hosting us today. Hope you've enjoyed our coverage. Have a great weekend. Back with you on Monday on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419 GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgrow variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.